Today on Never Ever Give Up Hope, I am interviewing Dr. Artivan Asley. He is a board-certified spine surgeon who has revealed eye-opening new research into the surprisingly common practice in surgery that despite overwhelming evidence, this method is practically useless and causes harm. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Grant. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Dr. Artivan Astley is a board-certified spine surgeon who received his undergraduate education at the University of California, Berkeley, where he double majored in physiology and genetics. He earned his MD from New York Medical College and completed his residency at St. Vincent's Hospital in New York City while working with some of the world's most renowned scoliosis surgeons. He received his Spine Surgery Fellowship training at Harvard University. In addition to his private practice, Dr. Asley has been active in researching and developing cutting-edge treatments for osteoporotic and aging spines. Welcome, Dr. Asley. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, this is going to be an eye-opener for all of us, including myself. I am so thrilled that you are going to be on the show today, as I have done some research since I first booked you and realized that this is something that a lot of people have never heard of, but may be the victims of spinal surgeries that have not gone right. Would you agree with me there? I do. As a matter of fact, I want to take it even further, as I'll discuss later on, that how we've come to where we are, which is just terrible. It it really is. Okay. So let's start with your discovery. How did you discover this? And just run with it and and share with us what you would like. Perfect. Well, to explain that, let's go from the beginning so the audience can understand what we're doing, what's the normal, uh, what's the uh, um, customary practice it is and how I found out what the problem is. So spine surgery, one thing that I want the audience to understand is that spine surgery is a very new field. Uh, hmm. we, didn't, we didn't really see the discs. You know, spine is a bunch of bones that are stacked up on top of each other, separated by the cushions, we call them discs. And discs 
the structures that they go about and cause pain, either back pain or the leg pain. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the invention of MRI that we could actually see oh. these discs and see what is going on uh, in terms of back conditions. If you think about it, first commercially available MRI was around like uh, early 80s. Oh, so really? So let's say it takes about right. And as a matter of fact, so, you know, the first commercially available MRIs were not good quality. I mean, I looked at this, I looked at some of the early MRIs, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even <laughs> see anything. Right. So let's say it takes 10 years to uh, get a better quality MRIs. And then it takes another few years to have MRIs across the country, not just the major university uh-huh, centers. Uh-huh. So if you think about it, it wasn't until 1995, like mid 90s, that we really started looking at these discs and see what is going on. That doesn't give us much time. That's like only, right, right. you know, a few, like two, three decades. That's it. So if the audience have some sort of a frustration, and, and I totally understand that, but they have to give us some time because we really haven't had time to iron out problems. And that's one of the biggest issues mm. here. So let's go back and talk about the spine. So we talked about, the cushion between the bones going bad, the disc. So right around uh, like 70s and 80s, we knew that we had x-rays. We could take the x-rays and see these discs have deteriorated, and therefore we gave it the name degenerative disc disease. Well, the treatment that we come up with, the treatment that come up with was a, a surgical fusion surgery. What you do, you take the disc out and you turn the two bones into one bone eliminating motion and then eliminating pain. So we started doing that right around, let's say, uh, 70s, 80s or so, but there was a big problem. See, when you try to create bone where there was no bone before, you can end up with a problem called non-union. So you can, you know, as a surgeon, you can do a good carpentry, but what happens after is based on patient's biology and we don't have any Mm. control over it. So what you do, you get bone chips, You harvest it from the hip or somewhere else. You put those bone chips between the two vertebrae, hoping you keep those fingers crossed that this will turn into a solid bone and you'll have a solid bone bridge between the two vertebrae to restrict the motion. Well, that sometimes doesn't happen. Initially, the results were not good. It was about, you know, 75% fusion rate, but about 25%. So one out of four patients didn't heal it. What do we do? Spine surgery is a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery and neurosurgery, which I'll get back to that later. Okay. But you can become a spine surgeon either by becoming a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon, or you can become a spine surgeon by doing going through orthopedic surgery. When we start having this, seeing these problems, non-unions, as orthop- and I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon, by the way. So I became an orthopedic surgeon first. I studied five years, became an orthopedic oh. surgeon. And then I did one year, only one year fellowship. And then now I became all of a sudden a spine surgeon. <laughs> so what happens is that we knew from fracture fixation in extremity, like arms and legs, broken bones, we knew how to heal the bone. We had developed this technique called uh, rigid fixation. You put plates and screws yes, and you hold the two ends of the fractured bone together so they can heal basically together. We actually uh, have very success with that. So we said, oh, we need something like that. 
something to hold the two vertebrae together so the bone can form between the two. Well, right around mid-80s, two surgeons in France, in Paris, they figured out a way to put this large screw from back toward the front in the vertebrae, one on each side. So the front of the uh, bone connects to the back of the bone through these columns, two columns, we call it pedicles. These pedicles kind of a attaches the back part of the vertebrae to the front part of the vertebrae. And they're like a column of bone with a uh, cancellous bone inside. So you can put the screw through the middle of that collar of the bone. And so you can put as many screws that you want, as many levels that you want to fuse. And these screws, when they get into the bone, they on the other end, they have a tulip that can accept a rod. So you put screws into the vertebrae that you want to fuse, you line them up together, and you put a rod, and then you tighten a knot, and that way these vertebrae become immobilized, become rigidly Uh fixed. So you follow me so far? Oh, absolutely. I'm familiar with what you're talking about. Perfect. So in mid-'80s, the two surgeons, like toward the – late 80s, like 1989, 88, the two surgeons from Paris came to America and showed their invention and their technique. And all the surgeons in America, all the orthopedic surgeons, they said, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for. Thank you. So they started using screws as an adjunct for the fusion Uh surgery. Okay. Uh By Mid by mid nineties, we were using these screws. By late nineteen nineties, by like the year two thousand, these screws have become the standard of care. Every time you got this fusion surgery, oh. you got these screws. Basically, uh-huh. you follow me now? Yes. Very good. Now, uh, so I start. I finished my practice. I mean, I start finished my training. I'm sorry. In two thousand and two, I started my practice in two thousand and two. I moved to. I'm from Bay Area. I'm from Northern California, Bay Area. So I moved to, wanted to come back to Bay Area. I came to Sacramento area and I set up a practice. So the first 10 years of my practice, I practiced basically how I was trained. How they uh-huh. taught me what to do and I right. did it. By the, by the second part of my practice, when I started the second uh, 10 years, second decade of my practice, I started asking questions. Why are we doing this? What is happening? What's happening to the patients? You know, so I started asking questions. And not only that, I started to see if I can make things better. One thing that I knew was this, these screws are inserted into the inside of the vertebrae. Now, oh. a vertebrae or, or a spinal bone is not a solid block of bone. It's not like a uh, wood. It's not like uh, a cement. It's like a shoebox. Outside bone is a nice cortical bone, very dense bone. Inside bone is a spongy, weak bone. So it's very weak. And that spongy bone inside gets really weak as we age. So for a young population in their teens and 20s and 30s, that bone is nice and solid. But once you pass 50, especially 60, they become very weak. I mean, they become like a sponge, basically. I knew and I had problems with my elderly population. These patients, you know, 70 plus, you know, 60 plus, 70 plus that I was doing surgery, I saw a high rate of failure of these screws. So everybody knows in the world of spine surgery, we have problems with these screws in in uh, in an aging population. So I set out to see if I can solve this problem. And that's where all the story begins. Wow. 
Right. Wow. First thing I did, right. Now, here's this. First thing I did, I said, wait, let's go to the literature, see, uh, because I was trying to invent a device that would be better than a screw for mm. aging population. Okay. So I said, let's go, let's go look at the literature, see what problems we have with these screws or what have they have done right. So basically look at the literature. So based on that literature, the knowledge that we have, we can go a little bit further and hopefully come up with a better device. And that's what I, when I discovered my jaw dropped, I was so shocked. Oh my God. So this is the story. This is how it goes. Right around, as I said earlier, right around early 1990s, when these screws became very popular in America, there were really bad results. Therefore, there were so many lawsuits against the manufacturer of the screws, a company called Medtronic. And there was another company which went bankrupt. And not only that, the lawyers not only sued the manufacturer, they yeah. sued the doctors too. They sued North American Spine Society and and uh, American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. At some point, there were about 7,000 lawsuits against the oh manufacturer. Oh, my goodness. Right. And about 500 lawsuits against the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and North American Spine Society. Right. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely. Wow. Then, then, then... Right around that time, about 1993, a surgeon named Dr. Zdablik published a paper saying that these screws work beautifully. I mean, they're just mm. awesome. They, what he did, he had a group of patients that they received the screw, and he had a group of patients that did not receive any screw. And he was able to show that these screws work beautifully. And that pop paper got published in 1993. Well, guess what? After that publication, all the surgeons, the whole world said, see, we've been telling you that the screws work great. And that's when the use of these screws became so popular. And that's when the lawsuits started disappearing. So I said, okay, I found this paper. Let's do a little bit more digging. Then I found seven. Well, initially six. And then the seventh one was a, was a later one. Six multinational multi-center papers that came out between late 1990s and early 2000s that said these screws do not work. They hmm. do not increase fusion rate and they do not improve outcome. If anything, they cause more complications. Hmm. These papers were published in our own spine journal. So they were published in a very legit journals and they were, they were, Con they were conducted by spine surgeons, not like somebody else. Right. Study. Right. It was our own. It was our own study, our own literature. So they said these screws are terrible. Basically, I said, wait a minute. There is six multinational, multi-center papers says that the screws don't work. There's one paper by one guy says that the screws work beautifully. What is going on? So I said, well. Let's start looking at Dr. Zdeblik. Let me see what's going on with that paper to just figure out what's going on there. The first thing that I noticed, my jaw dropped, and it was right in front of me. When I looked at the paper that he published in 1993 in Spine, he published it as a preliminary report. I spent about two years to look for the final result, follow-up result. I eventually, I was at the uh, conference and I was talking to one of the established surgeons and he said, oh yeah, 
that study was abandoned in the middle and it was huh. never finished. That huh. preliminary report is all you got. I was like, what? How is that possible? He goes, yeah, that's it. That's all we have. I'm like, how is that possible? If you open right now Google and you Google Zedeblik Spine Fusion article, you will see this article. You will notice that it was published in 1993 and it's been referenced in 1,200 articles. This is the most referenced oh paper goodness. in the entire world of spine surgery. Right. And it says preliminary result. And I'm like, wait a minute. None of these authors asked the question, like, where is the final result? How, well, how does that work? Like in the spine surgery, the criteria for scientific completeness is so low that we don't have to finish our studies. Is that no how kidding. it works? Wow. Well, right. Wait, wait. Now, I got to tell you, I'm going to get the audience prepared for this. Every time I thought things cannot get worse, and this happened four oh. or five times, things got 10 times worse. And, and this is where the whole story starts. So I said, let me look into the uh, Dr. Zedeblik's activities to find out what kind of guy he is. Now, I got to tell you that all the information that I've received is from Google. I don't have, you know, I don't have some, uh, some uh, investigator that goes right, in and says, right. you know, these are all well-known, well-documented facts, okay? So this is how he went. So Dr. Zdevlik published this paper in 1993. By 1996, 1995, those lawsuits were disappearing. As the lawsuits were disappearing against the manufacturer, Dr. Zdevlik started getting paid from the manufacturer, Medtronic. By 2003, he'd gotten paid $34 million. Oh, my word. Later on, I think he got paid up to $70 million from that, that company. I was like, wait a minute. This is not good. And when I said this is not good, no, wait a minute. It got 10 times worse. Then, same company, Medtronic, put him, put Mr. Dr. Zedevli in charge of another important study, a product called BMP. Now, BMP is a, if I have to say, it's a bone graft substitute. When you, as I said earlier, when you want to few, do fusion surgery, you have to get the bone chips from somewhere. Well, that donor site becomes a problem. If you go hack out the area, that area becomes a problem. To avoid that, we wanted to have a substitute for bone, bone uh, graft, basically. So BMP, bone morphogenic protein, is a hormone that we all have it when you break your bone, it gets excreted and that's how you feel your bone. We identified this hormone in 1960s. By late uh, 1990s, we were able to isolate it and it comes as a product, a sponge. So when you do fusion, you put this sponge between the two bones and hopefully that will turn into a solid bone. Well, the, the company Medtronic that had this product had to study this uh, product. So they put Dr. Zedeblik in charge. Guess what he did? He published the paper in 2004 again as a preliminary wow. result. Oh my I don't know why he does this. He's the only guy that I've seen that actually publishes at a, as a preliminary result. Uh, I haven't seen other authors to do something like that. So maybe he was thinking that he worked first time, unless it might work again. So he published that paper, but there was a huge problem. I don't exactly know what happened, but there was an investigation by who? by United States Senate. Really? So, yes, 
This is all in Google. This is like on Wall Street Journal, New York Post, all of them. So this is a very well-known fact. So the investigation by United States Senate concluded that the paper that Dr. Zdeblik published on BMP in 2004 was not written by him, was written by the company. Isn't that crazy? That is beyond that, crazy. That's beyond crazy. That's just, you know, now these are the things that the, the, the Dr. Zdeblik and the, uh, the company, Medtronic, have uh, disputed. They, they deny that. But this was the conclusion of United States Senate based on all the emails that went back and forth between Dr. Zedeblik and the company. I'm not coming to this conclusion. This is the United States Senate right, that came to right. the conclusion. If you follow me here, this is what's going on. We have six independent, multi-center, multinational papers published in reputable journals that says these screws don't work at all. You have one paper unfinished by a guy that got caught falsifying his results, who got paid God knows how many million dollars from the manufacturer. What is going on? This was the thing in my head for, for about three, four years. You know, yeah. sometimes people say, well, how much time do you put on research? When you do research and you try to answer these questions, you're constantly on. My wife, you know, I, 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 I tell you, my wife was so upset for a few years because she always told me, you're here, but you're not here. You, you're somewhere else. Hmm. <laughs> <And that's laughs> because I was trying to solve right. it. And I, and I explained to her, I said, I'm, I'm working on something important. I'm sorry, babe, you know, but I have to, you know. So there was a big price that I paid for all the work that I've done. You know? No kidding. But, right. But, but, what I'm saying is that it took me three years to eventually get the answer, what is going on. I mean, initially I was thinking, what is going on? I mean, are we spines as spines that were curbs? Is this something going on behind the scenes that we don't know? Like some of the leaders of the field are just trying to put down the research that says screws don't work because of financial gains. What is going on? And the final answer that I found some of the doctors, of course, they have direct connection with the, with the companies, no question. That's financially driven. Of course, the company is 100% financially driven. But most of the surgeons, I don't think they're financially driven. Why? Because I think the problem is much, much bigger and much, much deeper. And that comes to our training. As orthopedic, as I said, we originally became orthopedic surgeons. In that five years of orthopedic surgery, our exposure to spine is very low. All we learn is fracture fixation, fracture fixation. We just basically cover emergency room all day and all night. And what you see there is just basically trauma, you know, car accidents, bike accidents. So all you're doing as a, most of the stuff that you do as a resident is fracture fixation, fracture fixation. Well, guess what? In that, doing that type of work, it gets hammered into your head that rigid fixation is the answer. So when we became spine surgeons, hmm. we got that training, that mm -hmm. knowledge, we applied that to spine. And I'm here to tell you that that is wrong. We should have never done that. Spine is a completely different entity under completely different uh rules and regulations and law. Concept of rigid fixation works in extremity, like arms and legs, for one important reason, because you can eliminate gravity. In the arm, you put the arm in a sling. In the leg, you can put the 
uh, leg on crutches. You can put the patient on crutches so they're not putting any weight on it. In spine, you cannot eliminate gravity. Huh. The second that the guy, I mean, you cannot suspend the guy in the air for like three months, right? Right. So the second that the patient gets up, that construct is under tremendous amount of stress. Every time patient tries to move, bend, or do regular activity, that construct, that plates and screws and rods are under tremendous amount of stress. So it's no different than building a building in a, a high rise in an earthquake zone. We've learned through years that if you want to build a high rise in an earthquake zone, you don't make it stiff. You make it reactive. Right, I'm not course. saying flexible. Yes. Right. That's why we have all these, you know, marvels of engineering. You know, in, in Dubai, you have that Burj Khalifa. You have, you know, all these high rises everywhere. The Taiwan, you know, how did they achieve all of this is that you make it reactive. So when is there's a wind or there's right. an earthquake, it can twist and turn and dissipate that energy and doesn't crumble and just crack and everything. And that's what we have to apply to spine as well. I say I named the new technique that we need that I call it reactive rigid fixation, a fixation that actually can absorb that energy and it can dissipate the energy as opposed to cut out and pull out and just totally fail completely. That's one thing. Two, biomechanics, the me mechanism of failure of in spine is completely different than the extremity. For example, when we put the screws into the vertebrae, the motion that the screw has to stop is a rotational motion. A vertebrae, a bone tries to rotate compared to the bone that's below it. All these vertebrae rotate. That's how the spine flexes forward. So it's a rotational motion that the screws try to stop. Well, wait a minute. If that means that they have to stop a rotational motion, that means the toggle becomes the mode of failure, not pull out. Because there are two forces that, that can act on a screw. Either it can be pull out or it can be toggle. Well, screw is a one-dimensional device. Screw is only made for pull out. That's what it's good for. I remember I was six years old when I realized if you want to take a screw out, you don't yank on it. You toggle it right. and we get loose and then you can pull out. Well, that's what's happening inside the body. The screw has to stop toggle forces. Well, the screw is not made for this. On top of that, you put the screw in a spongy bone, which is weak. Then when the, when the papers come back and said the stuff doesn't work, you don't want to believe it. It's beyond belief. It's just crazy. So what I'm trying to do with my book, of course, I wrote a book. I said I have to once I found this out, I couldn't stay quiet anymore. My wife was so upset. My wife for two years, she was telling me, let it go. Please don't write this book. She was so upset that I was writing this book to expose what we're doing in spine surgery. She says, you know, we have a, you have a good practice. We have a good life. You're going to ruin it. And I said, you know what? Hmm. My life wow. is already ruined. My life is already ruined. I mean, I cannot sleep at night. Once I found out what's yes. going on, yes. I couldn't get quiet. I said, I got to write a book about it. And that's what I wrote the book to explain all these, what is going on from beginning to the end. We're going sure. to take a 15-second break, and then we are going to discuss your book. 
Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. I never, ever give up hope. We are now going to continue listening to what Dr. Asley has been sharing this morning regarding the horrors in his profession in spinal surgery. You do not want to miss the second half of this interview. As I was saying earlier, I questioned myself about the book. I said, am I doing the right thing? I mean, this is so off the charts that I had to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And and, and even to this day, uh, I question myself, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Am I missing something? And it all comes down to the same answer. No. Huh. I mean, the least we can do is this. The entire world of spine surgery, everything that we do in the world of spine surgery today, tracks back to one paper. One paper I, written by wow. one man right. that got paid and then he got caught later. Well, and not only that, he never finished uh, the, the, the experiment. He, he didn't even finish it. So we have to start from the beginning and we've got to make sure that we built this castle on a solid ground, not on some sand that's going to sink the entire thing. And that's what's happening. You know, let me explain to you what are the few culprits, why we've gotten to where we are right now. One of the biggest problems, I told you earlier, that is the training. The second culprit are the, um, are the companies, and I'll explain to you how. We, there, there are a few companies that manufacture these screws, and okay. they're very competitive. Oh. They're very competitive. Oh, my God. They're just like so – because we're talking about a lots of money. So this is what happens. Every time a surgeon uses a certain company, a product, they become kind of associated with that company. Of that course. company kind of puts them under their wing, you know, you take them around, you bring them information. You, you become, in a way, partner, okay? So uh, when we go to these conferences, when we go to these conferences, I've been going to conferences for spine surgery twice a year at least. So imagine I've been in practice for 21 years. Right. I mean, conferences I've been to, how many people I've seen giving lectures. Not one time, and I'm talking about not one time, a surgeon has got up and said, this is the mistake that I made. I shouldn't have done that. And they show oh their goodness. bad results. Every time I go to these conferences, they show their best results, of course. best x-rays, best outcome. Right. So what has happened throughout the years is that we have created, and, and, and oh, something I got to go back and tell you. Of course, the audience might say, well, haven't you brought this up with your colleagues? Haven't you? Uh -huh. Absolutely. I don't just talk the talk. I don't write, just write the book. I go to these conferences. I get up and I, and, and I 
and and I bring these uh, questions to the audience. You know, I get nothing basically. So wow. what we've done, we've created an alternative reality for ourselves. We go to these conferences, we think that everything is great, but then we come back to our training. And our patients are end up in pain management, you know, uh-huh. they're in pain for the rest of their lives. And, and unfortunately, and I don't want to badmouth my colleagues, but, but I have to, I have to explain. There's an explanation that it is what it is. Truth is more important than anything else. A lot of the surgeons, they have PAs, they have physician's assistants that to help them. So when they do the surgery, they don't follow up the patient. So after the surgery, the PA follows the patient. If they're better, they get discharged. If not, they're not better. They just get sent to pain management. And after that, they're on their own. Pain management on the narcotics for the rest of their lives. So they don't get the proper follow-up in a way. And, and that's one of the biggest problems, you know, so the training or so. But let's go back to the question that you asked. What is their, what is their uh, um, reaction when I bring up this question? Well, let me tell you a story that happened to me, so you'll understand what I'm dealing with. Okay. I was in, in 2016. I was in North American Spine Society in Boston, NAS. They call it NAS in Boston. I got up, and that was the time that I was just starting to ask questions. I didn't know what I know now. Uh-huh. So I got up in front of like thousand spine surgeons. I said, "All these papers say that the screws don't work. Why? The use of the screws have become." Routine. So I didn't want to get in a fight with the panel. Of you know, the people who were on the panel, they're very famous surgeons, you know. Uh, who am I? A guy from Sacramento who questioned them. So I wasn't really, you know, the guy in the panel said, Well, we did our studies later and we found out the screws were great. And I was like, you know, I didn't ask them, I said, Well, why didn't you publish that? You know, I was like, so anyways. <laughs> so like everybody got quiet, the session ended. Twenty minutes later, I'm in line to get coffee. So I'm talking to a rep. Uh, right next to me. He introduces me to the guy behind me, an older gentleman from San Francisco area. I'm not going to mention the name. And then he turns around to that older gentleman and says, Dr. Asley doesn't like the screws. He turned around to me and says, oh, you're the gentleman that made that comment about the screws. Well, I got to tell you that everybody is welcome to their opinion, but you're very wrong. I said, it's not me. It's not me that I'm right or wrong. It's the research. The research says that this stuff doesn't work. Maybe, just maybe they're trying to tell us something. He goes, I know. Those are my patients. I wrote those papers. Those are my papers. I said, oh, yeah? What's your name? He told me his name, and I had the papers in my hand. (laughs) I looked at the papers. He was right. He was the fifth author of the second paper. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's my paper. I'm like, okay, let's read your paper. The last sentence of his paper said, based on the current evidence, we do not recommend routine use of pedicle screws. He looked at it, goes, that's wrong. And he walked away. Oh, my goodness. I I swear to God, if it's any different than what exactly happened. Right. That's what I'm dealing with. So we've been just brainwashed that the rigid fixation with screws is the answer okay let's let me tell you that you know i go to these professors i raise these questions and and this is what i've done i showed them i said and and you know what they know these papers it's not like they don't know they know they know all these papers but this is their answer yes we know there are two 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 steps to the answer Yes, we know 
that we haven't been able to show with research that screws work. But we know that they work, so we'll show it sometimes down the road. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You know, their attitude is that, okay, so what? We haven't been able to show with research that works. But we know that they definitely work. You know, we'll show it sometimes. Not a big deal. That's, that's their attitude. Is. Wow. And my message to them, my message to them is, look, every time you fail to show that something works, you have just shown that it didn't work. These are not two separate events. This is the same event. So you have shown over and over that it didn't work. Right. Plus, plus. This is a definition of insanity to do the yes, same experiment yes, over and yes. over and expecting that one of the research comes out and says it works and say, oh, you throw your hand in the air like that's it. We're done. That's just crazy. <laughs> and and something I explained in my uh, book was that we are the surgeons. We are implanting these uh, devices in patients. It's our duty. It's our duty to show that this stuff that we're doing works it's us it's on us we have we cannot go on with showing that this stuff doesn't work you just can't do that it's it's our it's not like somebody else has to come in and do that we have to do it (laughs) absolutely (laughs) is that crazy it's just like i I don't know what else to do (laughs) so where is it now well this is well let me explain to you where do we stand now I've, as I said, I've been going to lectures, uh, conferences twice a year since 2002. Somehow, in late 1990s, somebody got up and said, there is plenty of evidence that shows the screws work. Then six months later, somebody who attended that lecture got up and says, there's plenty of evidence that, that shows the screws work. Then six months later, two guys <laughs> got up and says, there's, a, there's, there's plenty of evidence that shows that the screws work. So everybody trusts the guy behind him. Yes. That he's done his research. Oh, my he's done goodness. His <laughs> right, right. So Insanity last, is right. Right. So within the last 20 years, the whole community of spine surgeons have somehow made themselves believe that there's plenty of evidence that shows these screws work. I remember I, I uh, approached one of the, the surgeons uh, from <clears throat> University of Michigan, and uh, he said, "He said, oh, there's a plenty of evidence that shows the screws work." I was like, "Are you sure about that?" He goes, "Oh yeah, we we solved that long time problem, long time ago. That's not even an issue." And the guy next to him was another professor. Said, "We never did. We never did." He said, "Are you sure?" He goes, "Yeah, we never did." <laughs> so what I'm saying is that the new generation of surgeons that are coming up. They don't, this is not even in their radar. This is not even their concern. Their teaching and training is that screws work beautifully and we showed it with, with plenty of evidence and, and that's not even like issue anymore. So come back to where we stand. So, so what I'm saying is like they moved on from it. It's not even like in their radar. No kidding. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's that bad. So what's my goal with this book? Yes. I tell you what, you know, 
I have tried going to my colleagues. I have tried going to my leaders. Now, one way or another, is this the training or is it the fact that I'm telling them everything that they've done for the last 30 years is wrong? They don't want to accept that. Or maybe they have financial ties to these companies. Either, whatever. Whatever that reason is, everybody has different reasons. I have not gotten anywhere. That's why I told myself I have to write a book to show the world what we're dealing with so the patient can start asking questions so the new surgeons can go back and look at the evidence for themselves and start asking questions. Is this the ethical way of practicing medicine? Is this the evidence-based medicine tells us to do? That's what my goal is. But we have to do something because the way we practice spine surgery right now is no different than a cult. We're following it just like a cult. We somehow believe that what we're doing is right. And yes, nobody ever exactly, questions it. Exactly. And somebody questions it, they want to shoot him down. Yep. Because why? Because we went through quite a bit of trauma, you know, in 1990s. And, and they don't want that trauma to resurface. And my message to them is, we went through trauma because there was a problem. We didn't solve that problem. We just put our head in the sand, thinking, hoping that the problem will go away. But the problem is not going to go away. The problem is with us. It's just, it's, it's that bad. Are you so, optimistic? I'm very optimistic because why? Because we are finding medicine constantly progress. It's, it, it's a progress. Progress is slow, but there's progress. So we do have alternative ways. We do have knowledge. You got to understand some of the things that we, in, in 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was no See, there was no uh, metallurgy. You know, we didn't have good metals. We didn't have good technique. Now we have 3D printing. We have laser drilling. Right. We have materials that are stronger than what we had before. So we do have the technology to come up with devices. So we can't, things that we couldn't do. We, like in, in 70s and 80s, we could come up with a screw. That's all we could come up with because we just, now we can design devices that are appropriate and not only design it, actually build devices that are appropriate to spot. Right. Are you still standing alone in this? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, I got to tell you this. As I said, that's go back to my first, um, first, argue, uh, first uh, thing that I described spine surgery. There are two groups of spine surgeons. They're orthopedically trained and neurosurgery trained. Now, when I approach the neurosurgeons and I explain this to them, they totally get it. Okay. They totally like you're absolutely right. Right. They're absolutely. So they're with me all the way. It's the orthopedic guy that when I tell them, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. And look. And, and, and look, my argument is very simple. My argument is very simple. They tell me this. They, uh, because I inv- invented a device that uses composite straps. Uh, to wrap around the bone and doesn't uh, and don't uh, penetrate the bone. Uh, uh, so, so I told them, I said, these devices are stronger than screws. They would look at me. They think I'm some crazy guy. They were like, yeah, how can sorry. you tell something with a strap is stronger than a screw? How do you even do that? I said, look, my, my argument is very simple. You can make a screw as strong as it can hold this building. But if you put it into junk, Guess what you got? You got right. junk. 
you know, screw as a strong screw construct is as strong as is the bone that's holding that screw. So if you put it in the osteoporotic bone in the seventy-five-year-old, you got nothing. Right. You got nothing. Right. Right. But but the strap, but the strap that uses cortical bone, maybe the strap is not as strong as the screw, but the strap is holding on to the stronger bone. So the whole construct is stronger. And somehow they just don't, they, it just, they have this mental block that as an orthopedic surgeon, they teach us, they hammer it into our head that the answer to any problem is a screw. If you come up with anything but a screw, forget it. Don't even talk to us. Don't even try, I swear to God. <laughs> that's, their, that's their attitude. If you think you want to come up with a better device, it got to be a screw. <laughs> that's pathetic. Is an I understatement. Know. Absolutely. Totally, well, this totally. has been thorough. You are so thorough. I appreciate it. You taking us from point A to point Z. I mean, I have an understanding now that I never w- could possibly have had because who else shows this but you, right? Isn't that crazy? It's just amazing. And you've also yeah. been very clear, and I sincerely appreciate that. Now, it to promote this book. What audience should we be promoting it to? This, I wrote this book. There are two sections to this book. There are eight chapters. The first four chapters are me teaching public what we go through as spine surgeons to evaluate the okay. patient. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of a, give my knowledge that I've learned in 21 years of practice to my patients, because I really think spine surgeons haven't done themselves a favor, try to train the public in terms of what we do, what we cannot do. Because, you know, reputation of spine surgery is that everybody wants to go to a surgeon, get one surgery and be all done and be, you know, perfectly fine. Well, that's sometimes possible. Sometimes it's not possible. So patients need to understand where they stand, what their situation is. So I had to explain that to public and this is written very easily it's written for people not for medical professionals i'm trying to teach spine surgery through stories of my patients basically so anybody can read this book and especially anybody who has a relative with a back issue or they do have back issue themselves they need to read this they need to understand what's going on because the problem is that you go to 10 different doctors that they treat back pain you're going to hear 10 different stories why because we just don't know we don't know the answer everybody's just and and you know what the first 10 years of my practice i wasn't as confident as i am now of course patients would come in they ask a question i would come up with a story and i would sound very scientific and my patients would tell me wow you know this, this guy knows what he's doing now that i'm more confident i just be honest to the patient i said we don't know I can tell you a story, but truthfully, we don't know. <laughs> so I think that's been the best approach to the patient because truth always is the best, you know, for them to under, for the people to understand. Yes. And, and that's what I wanted to kind of, a, kind of a bring to my patients. Now, the second part of the book, chapters five through eight, is what has been happening, what we discussed in the world on okay. spine surgery. You know, the problem is this. This is a huge problem, and I, I don't know what the solution is. Every time you have a company with a CEO, that CEO has one goal and one goal only. Not two goals, just one goal, to make as much money as he can because he of knows course. 
that he's the CEO only for a few years. So he wants to make the most money so he can retire with a, with a golden parachute, right? He will do anything, anything to get that money. Huh. Well, what they do, what they do, they befriend the surgeon and that surgeon starts writing papers that are favorable to the product and then bring the thing to the product. And then 10 years later, when we find out the products didn't work, nobody says anything. They just move on to the next product. Uh. But we, and, and that CEO is retired in south of France in their villa and nobody can touch him. But this is the problem. It's not the victims here are not just the people who receive that product. The victims are much, much, much bigger. Why? Because every time we come up with a product and they publish a paper that this product works, the entire world of spine surgery moves in the wrong direction. So, oh my goodness. But, by, by doing these things, because, you know, because this is a situation, if I'm a surgeon, if I want to invent something, if I want to improve things, I'm going to look and see what works, right? So based on what I see <laughs> what works, I'm going to try to invent something better, right? Absolutely. So if, you've, if you've written a paper that says that something works, but in actuality doesn't work, you just threw me in the wrong direction. So what I tell is that, you know, this has to change. We got to yes. put these CEOs responsible you know they'd be liable if they've done some stuff they need to come back and answer at least be honest you know what forget about jailing you forget about taking your money away just be honest yes. what you did what a mission my what a mission huh? what a mission <laughs> i'm <Yeah>. you know <laughs> i hope i hope your wife is appreciating oh, all God. the time that this has taken to help so, my goodness you're helping the world at large and I'm glad to see that you are optimistic and going forward. And I appreciate sharing not only your story, but this book. And we look forward to hearing a good report within a year. How does that sound? That would be wonderful. <laughs> but you know what? You can't be. You can't do anything but be optimistic. That's the good only point. way you can yes. progress. You know. Yes. And, and that's another thing that I tell my, you know, my audience, the other spine surgeons, the attitude of spine surgery right now is rotten. They say they're very happy with what they have. That's not how a surgeon should operate. A surgeon should be unhappy with what they have. Precisely. Otherwise, they would not progress. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, and I said in my book, if it's like one or two patients, they're not happy. I'm not happy. You know, it's like we, we got to progress. You got to we got to change the attitude of all the spine surgery. We got to change the people's attitude so they can start looking for better ways and not say that, oh, this is the best way and we're good. <laughs> you are a surgeon with empathy, which is probably not that common in your profession. Well, it's more common than not. But, but the, on, okay. the, on the other side, it's unfortunate that some of the surgeons they care about driving a Ferrari than, you know, helping the patient, I guess. So that's, so that's the unfortunate part that there are not many, but those people do exist too, which, oh, which you know, is unfortunate. Yes. Well, doctor, thank you. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Well, I look forward thank you to for giving promoting me a this. Absolutely. I look forward to promoting this on every channel that I possibly can. And we will, as they say, be watching you. <laughs> right. You know, I tell patients, I tell people, I say, it's your duty to read this yes, book. Yes, exactly. Read, That's a good point. Whoever you know to read it. Yes. Very good point. Right. And thank you again for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. And we won't. <laughs>
and we won't give up hope for sure. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.